Okay, everybody. Hello. This is Here Comes the Spider Cast, number 11. This is your co-host, Mike L. And as always, I'm joined by... Josh. And today we are going to be talking about Spider-Man comics from May of 1981. Uh, we're going to start off with Amazing Spider-Man number 216, then Marvel Team-Up 105, and then we're going to finish off with Peter Parker, the Spectacular Spider-Man number 54. All right. So starting with Amazing Spider-Man... This was crap. Okay, so on yeah. to Marvel Team Up. Uh, no, no, this was <laughs> honestly. This that, could be. <laughs> that's pretty much my review as well. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this, this one is really sucked. The worst one. Yep, this is probably the worst one in his run. Um, yeah. So, do you want to talk about what the plot is in this one? Yeah, um, we start off <laughs> with uh, Spidey kind of recovering from from last issue, um, and he goes to try to see deb whitman and deb whitman has this new boyfriend good for you deb yeah honestly thank goodness mm -hmm. because i'm so tired of seeing peter parker just treat her like shit every issue exactly um but then other than that peter parker's just kind of swinging around the new york city marathon <laughs> yeah. trying to look for this oh. th these couple of goons that are <clears throat> planning to kill somebody well, that's pretty much it. Like, so let's just so the, the crux. So yeah. So what happens is this is so stupid. So uh, Peter Parker goes to the hospital to the emergency room, mm -hmm. and he's sitting there in the emergency room, and he overhears two goons talking. And this is what he hears: "You got the spot picked out, yeah, and the gun is ready." And then Peter Parker <laughs> thinks, "Funny kind of conversation for a hospital." Then. We thought he'd win, but that sucker will be out of the race. Permanent. Yeah. Ain't never going to run again. They're discussing murder. Ouch. I forgot. I can't walk much. Let's chase them. Got to hobble. If I can't stop them, I can at least get a look. So he runs outside. The next panel, we see a bunch of guys in shadow, even though it's broad daylight. They're in <laughs> shadow getting into a car. And Peter Parker's like, nuts. They're getting away clean. And I didn't catch a glimpse of their faces. First of all, he's seven feet away from them. Isn't he right. Spider-Man? Can yeah. he run, jump, Is you know, shoot his web? I mean, They're not to mention, did they murder. not have to wait for an elevator to go down? It, or something. Yeah, it's <laughs> like just, not, it's, There's nothing really in between. Like, it's, it's no. just him in this uh, emergency room with them and then they run out and he's chasing them the entire way until they get into the car. Okay, so then, so then he, then it cuts them back in the hospital. Wonder who their intended victim is. Did I mention they're planning to murder someone? And he just goes back, like why didn't he just keep following them? <sighs> he goes back into the hospital. So then later, a couple panels later, he looks over, oh dear, so then Peter Parker's like, huh, the marathon. Yeah. Those guys said the guy will kill the, the, the guy they kill will be, quote, out of the race. That he'll never run again. They're planning to shoot one of the marathon runners. So then he spends, so then he goes to Madam Webb to try and get some advice from her. Doesn't She doesn't really do much, but he goes out, does this typical Peter Parker routine, goes home, changes, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. Then he spends the next several pages, um, sort of monitoring this marathon that's going on and you know there's a bunch of red herrings and and right whatever it doesn't really amount it's go, sorry so go ahead goofy too like these yeah. red herrings are ridiculous mm -hmm. like the guy in the wheelchair falling off of the brooklyn bridge yeah <laughs> is there no railing on the brooklyn bridge I know. like it's just, it's just so yep. wild mm -hmm. and then you got um 
some guy with a banjo and then a the, that no, he thinks he thinks it's the gun right yeah. and for no reason this scaffolding falls off a building and then mm-hmm. there's a, there's a pit pocketer pickpocketer and he stops them and like there's uh, some guy just has a heart attack out of nowhere mm-hmm. yeah like it's it, just a bunch of crap oh my god it's <laughs> it's so oh it's so awful yes yeah, so then so then what happens is um so he's going along and madam webb um finally has a little bit of insight for him so oh for the people that don't know madam webb is psychic okay right so madam webb then calls him up and says two two men armed with armalite ar-10 automatic rifles are waiting at a water tower 50 yards to the right of the finish line their intended victim is named barney wicker and then spidey says wicker the congressional candidate boy have I been dumb? The killers meant race, as in politics, not as in running. <sighs> okay, so I just got to say, this is the type of writing that a teenager would do, okay? Because right. I've written stories like this. I used to write, and this is this is garbage. Not only is the premise idiotic, but the rest of the, like we said, these obstacles and these red herrings he runs into are so far-fetched that I, I, right. it's so clear at this point Daniel Neal is just filling pages. This is garbage. And to make it even worse, the way that he ends up foiling these guys is he tracks them down. Let's be clear. So we're on page, he found out on page 21. Page 22, he encounters them. Uh, They shoot him, he dodges them, he climbs up this water tower, flips it over, push, the water tower lands on them. The end. The end, yeah. Next issue, sand and water makes mud. That's the end of the story. So let's be clear about this. The way I understand it is, even if you're doing a story about superheroes or an action movie, a story cannot just be a fight scene. And the end of a, of a fight scene, like the end of the story cannot just be, just be one guy punches out the other. Even in The Karate Kid, you've seen the original right. Karate Kid, right? Even, the, even when Daniel's son, when he uses that praying mantis kick, it's not just that he... It's not just that he, um, you know, kicks him really hard. It's like, you know, he was training really hard for that special move and right. he didn't know and, if he could do it. Everything was built up to that fight, right? That right, whole right, movie right. was to build up to that one thing. So it makes sense that, that the end of that movie is this final conflict. Right. Where this, this is, is just, just nonsense the entire time. Like there's really no buildup. No. Whatever you know flimsy stakes that they kind of set up they didn't set up well like it's so no yeah this entire issue is really just bad i mean honestly i don't even think that the art saved it this issue (laughs) not that it was bad it's just that Uh like oh it was so hard to get through this this issue yeah it's just i don't know i mean I don't know. I just I like we've talked about Denny O'Neill a lot before and he he made his reputation on Batman and Green Lantern Green Arrow, okay? In the late 60s and early 70s. Mm. So that's what made him famous. Um I've tried to read those Green Lantern Green Arrows. I honestly didn't enjoy them. Um his Batman's not much better. And then beyond that, he did an infamous Superman reboot mm-hmm. that didn't go anywhere. He did the Wonder Woman reboot where he depowered her and gave her the white jumpsuit. Do you remember that? In yeah. Like the 70s. That went nowhere. 
And then, so what did he do after that? He did this. He did he did a, a, a run on Iron Man that no one remembers because it was in between David Michelinie's two runs. Right. And then he became the editor of Batman. And so it's like, I'm sorry. I mean, I hate to like crap all over this legend, but I just don't think he's a good writer. <laughs> No, I, I I completely agree. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's it, this is really rough. As rough as some of his other writing was, this one was just really sluggish. Um, mm -hmm. It really doesn't feel like he knows who Spider Man or Peter Parker is. No, not at um, all. Yeah, and I mean, um, even like so, the Debbie Whitman stuff. I mean, at least there's been there's finally consequences to yeah. what, how he's been treating her, which is. Which is, I'm glad because he treated her like crap this whole and, time, right? And even this is just such a crappy, like, resolution to it all that I, I, she's probably going to end up coming back. Well, I, I've read ahead, like, I've read ahead years ago and I know that she's still around later. So, right. yeah, she is still around. So, there'll be more with her, but, um. So, it's just so, ugh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to say like, yeah, this is, uh, I give the story like nothing. I give, I give it like a one or a zero out of 10. Yeah. The art is fine. The art's like a seven, but like you said, it doesn't really save it. No. Not at all. Because it's, it's good and it's serviceable, but I don't think that there's really anything that stands out in the art. Um, this issue. That's a good point. Like there's nothing yeah. that I saw and I was like, whoa, that's so well done. It was, it was still like solid and you know, what you would expect from a John, John Romita Jr. Uh, sure. You know, illustration. And then Jim Mooney as well. Like the inking is, is very great, but there's nothing that makes me like, there's nothing that's, you know, catches my eye reading this comic. No, actually now that I'm flipping through it again, I'll point out one thing on pay on digital page nine. Okay. Um, John Romita uses kind of a, a, a tilted panel, the second panel from the top. Mm. That's a, That's at least, yeah. you know, interesting because, because of the way the doctor or the nurse is uh, kneeling down and doing his um, thing, his, uh, is dressing his wound. Right. It kind of makes, you know, it, it kind of makes creative use of that widescreen panel so that's kind of cool but i mean that's a very minor thing in, right. in, in a 22 but page story right i feel like that would have been better used earlier when you know spider-man's spider senses are going off because usually a dutch tilt is to show that something is really wrong and off right so it's so kind of just like it's not that it's a bad uh drawing by any means or bad layout it's just that mm -hmm. i think it would have been used like it would have been more useful in a different spot when something wrong is happening mm -hmm. like he is spying on them and he's hearing this awful thing that these guys plan on murdering somebody yeah right yeah but yeah but <sighs> i agree it, it, it is it, that that panel is definitely well laid out yeah mm -hmm. it does stand out nicely compared to the other ones as well because they're pretty straightforward mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so i guess that wraps up amazing spider-man number 216 <sighs> yeah not recommended by no of us. no definitely not no, so now we're going to move on to Marvel Team-Up, yep, number, number 105, 105, and you can take it from here. So this is another uh, Hulk uh, issue of Marvel Team-Up, Yes, and it happens to be another Marvel Team-Up with Hulk, Iron Fist, and Power Man. Yes. <laughs> and I'm telling you, this has to be another fill-in, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. it really is a fill-in. Um, it's such a weird issue. Mm -hmm. um we have power man and iron fist 
in a jet flying over the desert <laughs> and they're looking for some bad guys and then the they they end up running into the hulk and the hulk punches the jet and crashes it so they're stranded <laughs> in the middle of nowhere and these beatniks come and kidnap power man and the pilot and they are forcing mm -hmm. power man to move all of these rocks to bust open this cave that has water in it uh yeah the beatniks so. and then hulk <laughs> the comes back in with iron fist at one point and or with a uh, bruce banner and iron fist come back mm-hmm it ends up in this like really kind of quick fight that happens and that's the end of it like <laughs> uh. okay so let's just uh back up a little bit here so this yeah. is written by mike w Barr, who previously wrote a marvel team up that we both really like that was the one with um doc samson right right so uh you know the actual right like the, the, the dialogue's not bad mm -hmm. it's the premise itself like the first panel, we see Power Man and Iron Fist in a jet looking out of the window like Apocalypse Now, looking down at the Hulk. <laughs> right. And there's a, there's a bubble that says, those radio ports was right, Danny. The Hulk is in the area. Just our crummy luck. We come looking for a couple of heist artists and run into a monster. That has got to be the most convoluted but also convenient setup. Uh, like, what a way to get these characters together. It's ridiculous, but yeah. efficient. I guess it's efficient. One bubble, right? yeah um. and like that <laughs> that works it, it's very wordy for what it is too like it, sure it could have just been like a really short sentence i don't know mm -hmm. it's yeah this setup is very weird like the first page yeah you see hulk and he he's already jumping up to crush the plane so on, uh -huh. by the second page they've already crash landed yeah i mean on one hand that's kind of good because i like these old stories how fast they move right. but it just feels really oh boy yeah forced. and, and forced. I, I normally again like you said would be fine with that if you're gonna like push us right into the action that's fine but i just don't think it was set up very well no like it, it there's some like there's some weird writing here like yeah. um i just want to point out so yeah, like you call them beatniks, right? But these are like I think they're supposed to be more like almost like the Hills Have Eyes cast, like, right? You know what I mean? Like these guys, like almost hillbillies or something. So once these guys crash, um, Power Man and Iron Fist. So these hillbillies come and they have a gun, and uh, one of the guys has a gun, like the old man, and he says, "We found us the Hulk." And then the son says, "Yes, yeah, you sure this guy's the Hulk, Pat? I don't think he is. Of course he is, Luther. See, he's so big and ugly, my slugs can't hurt him. So this guy thinks that Power Man, Luke Cage, is the Hulk, which is ridiculous because everyone on Earth knows the Hulk is green, but fine. So now this is the weirdest part of the writing, okay? Is that later on, i got to find this part, when the Hulk sees the old man, Mm-hmm. He says, now Hulk remembers, man tried to hurt Hulk. Hulk will get him for that. Then the caption says, already the Hulk's simple mind has forgotten that the old man abused power, power man, thinking power man to be the Hulk, not the Hulk himself. What? First of all, where was the Hulk when that was happening? He wasn't even around. Right. Like, and you just got to wonder. So uh, what's his name? Mike W. Barr is writing this. He wrote the dialogue and he wrote the caption. So why did he have what to... What page was that on? Sorry, that was um, where, where the Hulk is flipping out. It's page 14, digital page 14. 
So why did he have the Hulk even say that? Why couldn't he just have the Hulk just say something else and then he wouldn't have to explain why the Hulk was confused? You know, the bottom left right. of page 14. It's just really convoluted. It just makes me think that he wrote it all, then he went back and was like, oh crap, I made a mistake. So then he added in that little that one box, right? Right. But, I guess maybe Bruce Banner heard the hillbilly call Luke Cage the Hulk right there. Okay, maybe, maybe. Right before, but like even that, it, it's such a weird, flimsy way for Hulk to Bruce Banner to turn into the Hulk. And the same thing mm-hmm. with same thing earlier on when Iron Fist, you know, starts like channeling his chi and his fist starts to glow, he just automatically yeah. turns into back into Bruce Banner. Like nothing happened. Yeah, they, they fought it. They fought right, before, right. and that didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right, like it's just um, such a like right. convenient it's completely thing for arbitrary. the for the plot. Mm-hmm. So basically, how does this story end? It, the, like, and that's the thing is, like, as you're flipping through these pages, you see fighting, 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 and then basically, okay, so this is a really, this is really weird. Okay, so then what happens is, is they get into they're fighting, 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 and then the Hulk just decides, you know what? I've had enough of this. I'm out of here. And they add in this little narration about how everyone's got a friend except him. And it's kind of sad. You know, not even the Hulk's strength can find him a friend. So Hulk just bugs out. And then basically the this little <laughs> girl, like the daughter, is like, well, can I come with you? And then they're like, well, no, you can't. And then Luke Cage kind of gives uh, caves. And it's like, and then they cut to the helicopter shot and they're flying away. And the little girl is now with them. Right. So they're going to basically, I don't know. So here's the crazy thing is, at first, you're like, oh, well, what's going to happen with this girl? Well, guess what? We find out because then there's a fill-in story. This is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. It's a, it's a, then there's a backup story of like four or five pages where they explain what happened after. And now this girl's hanging out with them in like the city. And they're hanging out with Colleen Wing and um, what's her name? Misty Knight. Right. But it, it's just now we have another story where because again you just got to wonder was this created as a fill-in was it for another book we have no idea but who writes uh, yeah it's just a bizarre situation where now they're in like this club and somebody pulls a gun and then i don't know what happens after that because it's like a fashion (laughs) show right yeah yeah and yeah it's uh, it's just so strange and it's such a weird like connection to bring iron fist and power man into a fashion show like they pick up this random girl in the desert and she wants to go look at a fashion show Mm -hmm. like that's such Mm -hmm. it was like a throwaway line on Mm -hmm. page uh original page 22 okay um yeah she says something like golly look at all those clothes and she's looking at this fashion magazine and then it cuts to this you know, backup issue and they're at a fashion show. Like it's just so, well, it's so easily uh, could have been cobbled together. They could have just added that word fashion onto the magazine afterwards. Right. Right. Like they easily could have done that. Yeah. So we had, we've, we've talked, you know, for a bit about this comic. We haven't even me- mentioned the art. Okay. Mm-hmm. So first let's start with this cover by Al Milgram. So this is grotesque. It's, okay. Yeah. It's real bad. Um, like Al Milgram, I don't always hate his art. I mean, there's a lot of people that really hate him, but this cover is really slapped together, thick, ugly lines, ugly, ugly figures. It's just really bad. 
Um, but the interiors are by Carmine Infantino, mm-hmm. who we've reviewed before, I believe, right? Yes, we have. Um, in some ways, this is some of the ugliest art I've ever seen. But there is something to it that I do like. What do you think of the art in this issue? <laughs> yeah, there, there's definitely parts where it looks kind of ugly and, and not so great. But then there are some panels where there's like some really great action and, and layout. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it is kind of this whole issue is very much a mixed bag for me because there's some good stuff mixed in with this bad stuff. Like sometimes the story kind of seems interesting and sometimes the writing is just god awful and the dialogue mm-hmm. is so bad and then same with the art like there are definitely spots where the art stands out to be you know kind of interesting and fun and then others it's just so oh like like some of the like there the shot where the, the panel where hulk is running away at the end of the comic <laughs> right. his legs are so high up and squished and mm-hmm. it it just looks like he's squished into this panel, but this panel is well over half the page. Yep. And it's just Good so point. like, I, I don't know. There's so many, there's so many weird things about this issue. I just think that it's a case of like Carmine Infantino used to be in, in the fifties and sixties, in the fifties and sixties, he was a great artist. I think it's a case of a great artist. That's just cashing in a paycheck. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure if we talked about this, but he was the publisher of DC comics for many years and he, then he was fired when they got new owners. And so I think at this point he had been hired by probably Stanley as sort of like sympathy, right? Because they were probably friends, but it's very clear that he's not trying as hard as he used to, but he still like, this is what I like about this issue is that I was thinking about it and I was like, okay, would I rather read this or would I rather read alias from mm. Marvel Comics. Have you ever read Alias yeah. by Brian Bendis? I can't remember who the artist is, but I really think whoever that artist was, the original artist, is. I'm not saying he's a technically a bad artist, but the the style used for that comic is. I, I cannot stomach that style where you're basically just taking. It looks like photographs and just kind of photoshopping right. over them and tracing them and you know s- copying and pasting images and stuff. At least this looks like a comic book. It le- like there's a lot of weird pages on this where you see like the stars in the sky. Right. And instead of just drawing a black background with like white dots, he actually draws these gigantic stars and it just gives it this, you know, cartoony comic book mm-hmm. feel. And at the end of the day, I'd rather have that than photorealism, you know? Yeah. I think that um, this style fits better with this story that's going on. And then with Alias... Sure. Whether you like it or dislike it, I think that the more realistic um, style kind of lends to the gritty aspect of the story. Sure. Well, and and like the, I, I think for the most part I enjoyed Alias, but there were times where the art kind of stood out to be like not super great. Mm-hmm. But having those like photorealistic things kind of made it grounded and feel more real and like they were photographs. Where this, sure. for this story, it makes sense that, to kind of amp up that cartoony and stylized look of it with having sure, those giant sure. stars and, you know, action lines and stuff like that. Okay, I'll give you that. I'll give mm-hmm. you that. Um, so, I, I, but, but I do agree with you. I think that I would rather this. I'd rather have that cartoony, fun, stylized sure. that has more character than the simple... Um, 
photorealistic style. And that's the thing is that Carmine Infantino was a longtime artist on Star Wars, and mm-hmm. I've just started reading the Star Wars Marvel comic, and uh, you know I'm I'm looking forward to it because again I don't think it's great art, and some people like I could if someone said this art was ugly I could agree with them, but there's still ha- there's still like a charm to it that I like, and I think that's why I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But so that wraps up Marvel Team Up number yeah. one hundred five. Um, I mean, so okay. As far as recommendations, uh, very. Uh, I yeah, I'm not sure. I I didn't hate it, but didn't love it. I would definitely uh-huh. recommend this one over the last Hulk and Iron Fist and Power Man issue that we talked about. Okay, yeah. Um, because that one was yeah. pretty rough. So this one, this one gets a little bit more of a recommendation recommendation than that one does. Sure. Okay, so that brings us now to Peter Parker, The Spectacular Spider-Man, number 54. Right. Uh, before we even get into the story, I want to talk about this cover. It's amazing. Yes. I love it. It's so this good. This is by, yeah, Frank Miller and Walt Simonson. What a combo. Like, um, it's really, it's um, Spider-Man is dressed up in sort of samurai gear and he's leaping over these other, this group of samurais mm-hmm. and it's just, it's all like a black background and it's just excellent. Right. It almost has like a George Perez yeah. um, type vibe with the inking, but. And it has the these like got... nice vibrant colors as well. Like everything yes. is so bright. And then the, mm-hmm. the inking kind of lends to that where they didn't go too crazy with the inking. So you could, you know, have those colors really pop on this all black background exactly very good and then you've got like again frank miller's incredible sense of design you've got the the sword dividing the page at an Mm -hmm. angle right and then you've got the one samurai below the sword and then spider-man above it and then the other three in the background like it's just perfect yeah it's very good oh yeah so anyway um so then okay so we are again treated to another classic spidey story written by roger stern and drawn uh drawn by marie severin again Mm -hmm. so Oh, and I also should point out Marie Severin plotted this issue and then Roger Stern like wrote the dialogue over it. Oh, okay. So it's basically her story. Yeah. So uh, this is really cool. So we have Spider-Man swinging along as usual and he and he um comes across an ambulance that's being chased by a car and so right. he he tries to um protect the ambulance by Jumping down and lifting up, what is this? This is like a piece of metal on the ground or something. Right, some sort of cover and, in the ground. Yeah. Like a bridge or something and, and, maybe, but... Yeah, I'm not sure exactly. Um, oh, it's asphalt, but... Oh. Whatever, it doesn't matter. So he lifts this up and then in an awkwardly drawn panel, the car kind of crashes into this hole that's right. underneath this section of road that he lifted up. And then we find out that it's actually... Um, a cop, Lieutenant Under, Keating, right. undercover cop who's been chasing. So I actually laughed out loud just because it's such a typical thing that would happen to Spider-Man. Right. You know? And at first I was, I kind of groaned when I saw this. I was like, oh, sure. God, like, yeah. like it, it just <laughs> seemed ridiculous and out there. And it really felt like a Denny O'Neill thing to do. Mm. Like, like something that he would have just to throw in there for no reason. Sure. Like, like in the Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Danny O'Neill issue we just read, that he threw in the like old couple arguing about the sure. uh, about the New York City Marathon for no reason. Okay. So it, right, he always just kind of throws these things into his stories. Sure. So I thought that this was going to be one of them where he like Spider-Man. Oops, 
I crash the cop car. Oh well, uh-huh. and just gets away. But it, but it ends up coming back into play later on. And really, the, the entire issue is kind of about uh, Peter Parker trying to um, fix that right. problem. Right, right. And everything is kind of connected to that. Like he uh, track. He's trying to track down the stolen ambulance, and he finds the matchsticks and. Uh, from mm-hmm. there he goes to the restaurant and you know fights them there and teams up with the police later on to catch them like everything just kind of fit together so well right. in this issue everything fits together yeah. and it's a really interesting plot because whereas in Denny O'Neill's amazing run everyone's kind of just again stupid motivations and cliche yes. characters and in this story what a bizarre story. They are transporting the smuggler who is a supervillain that appeared in like the previous right. Roger Stern storyline. They're transporting him in this ambulance because uh, the Magia, who is the Marvel Universe version of the Mafia, Mafia has, right. has yeah, they've caught wind that he is going to testify and give evidence. So because of that, they've drugged him and they're bringing him to like the headquarters or whatever. Right. Like what a what a cool it's, plot line. Yeah. Right? That I think that's really, really awesome. And then having to kind of force the smuggler to team up with Spider Man at exactly. the end. And like yeah, it was a really cool issue, I thought, all in all. Yeah, and then at the and, and then so in like the, the last act or whatever, um Spider Man has to go to this Japanese um, restaurant. Yeah, this Japanese restaurant that's on a boat. And he kind of sneaks in and it's kind of funny because he ends up knocking out this guard and then disguising himself as a right. samurai. And there's, there's this funny scene that happens that I almost did, that I almost missed where they're standing around and they've got the smuggler tied up. And then um, like the head guy is like, t- he mentions, um, Sp- like he doesn't realize that Spider-Man is in disguise, but he's referring to Spider-Man. And he says, this is Hitokira, Mr. Dumont, one of the best men. And unlike the traitor Jostin, there's little chance of him ever betraying us. You see, he's mute. Right. And so then later on, Peter Parker's like, just my luck. I hap- I, I go through all the trouble of, you know, tying up this guy <laughs> and he's a freaking mute, you know? So funny. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, so then, um, so then basically, fisticuffs ensues. Mm-hmm. There's a big fight scene. And um, what happens after that here? Um, so, yeah, Spider-Man and the Smuggler kind of team up to fight these samurais that are uh, right. holding them hostage. And uh, they end up – one of them ends up shooting the Smuggler and he falls overboard. So Spider-Man goes and saves him. They bring him back on board and the police are there waiting for him. Yes, and, I love that. Uh, the – the people in the mafia and the samurai uh, soldiers, they are kind of getting away with it because Spider-Man is seen as a criminal after he fled the scene after crashing the right. cop car at the beginning. But then uh, Spider-Man takes the bag of the uh, main mafioso as he's walking away and shows them that he has these missing diamonds. So he kind of redeems mm-hmm. himself at the end. So it's just such a fun um, comic that's all kind of connected Everything well, really is the, a fun payoff. It's so good. And and it is only 22 pages. Right. And you have a complete story. It's just... And, and the thing is, is, you know, when you think about classic Marvel artists, I don't think most people think of Marie Severin, but she was there from the beginning, you know, along with mm-hmm. Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko. And I mean, I, I obviously don't like her art as much as those two, but look at how disciplined... Her storytelling is 
she she tells a complete story in one issue and you you you, you as you flip through these pages these pages are packed oh, not yeah. just with you know superfluous dialogue but complete scenes that take place in in like one page or half a page you know it's right. just great there's yeah. even like we didn't like the subplot of him back at the university and all that we didn't even right. mention that like it's all here sorry what were you gonna say uh i was just gonna say yeah everything kind of uh has a purpose so there's really no room or moments that are there just to be there right everything is is told very concise and not more than it should be which i think exactly you know is the reason why this story does so well a lot of the other artists it feels like they spend too much time at the beginning telling the story that at the end they have to wrap it up in a page or half a page or whatever it is yep. where this really feels like everything has a purpose and was planned out properly to uh, to have like a, a very satisfying ending i also want to talk about the scene where the smuggler gets thrown overboard right okay? and then peter parker jumps in to save him mm -hmm. he doesn't have to save him but he spends an entire page helping him right and then ends up um pulling him out and bringing him to the cops and it's just like everything that happens in this story is because of the choices that peter parker makes at the beginning yeah. of the story he sees an ambulance being pursued and you, you know what I mean? It's like, so Peter Parker is the protagonist and he's directing the story, but because he's Peter Parker, he keeps making mistakes and things mm -hmm. go wrong. And that's what makes him Spider-Man, right? Right. But at least, at least everything that happens is unique. It's like, again, this is not, this is not like the way that people think now where you can just uh, get rid of Bruce Banner and replace Bruce Banner with a different Hulk and get rid of Spider right. Peter Parker and replace him with, no, no, this is Peter Parker. This is Spider-Man and he's unique. And he's a great character, and this is why. Mm -hmm. And and Roger Stern gets that, whereas Denny O'Neill does not. No, definitely does. You know, not. like any anyone could have been in that stupid issue of Amazing that we read this week. You know, really, yeah, it could have been anybody. Um. Also, I read a really really good tweet today, and I want to mention it before okay, I yeah. forget, because um, it kind of ties in with um, what we're talking about here. If I can find it, oh boy, I hope I. Okay, so Tim Seeley, who's a writer who's worked on um, Money Shot, Dark Red, and Bloodshot. Oh, geez. He tweeted it. Now i got to find the tweet. <laughs> Darn it. Um, oh, here we go. My general advice to superhero comic readers is, if you're only looking for stories that add something, quote, important to the, quote, universe every time, you're doing it wrong. Right. Okay? So I tweeted back course no one responded to my tweet back but anyway so i, I tweeted back i put this is partly why marriages legacy hero replacements and stunt deaths are just cheap stand-ins for actual stories um the most critically acclaimed stories didn't add anything important to a universe they just told good stories and then i listed a bunch of writers alan moore grant morrison neil gaiman garth ennis warren ellis right. and look at look at this story that we just read now nothing changes about spider-man's life like right. no one dies no one is introduced not to say that you can't ever do that but at the end of the story i think what we gain out of the story is 
again, we get to know Peter Parker. So what would Peter Parker do in this situation? This is what he would do. What would go wrong? Well, Peter Parker is constantly kind of making mistakes because he's still kind of young mm -hmm. and he's just kind of whatever. So, you know, his interactions with the cops, um, it, what happens to him at the, at the university. And then again, the, the fact that he dives in to rescue the smuggler. But then at the end, the cops... You know, they blame him for what happened. That wouldn't happen to Superman. That wouldn't no. happen to Batman. Yeah. It would only happen to Spider-Man, right? And so, again, it's just, it's like when you get done with a story, you're like, oh, I just read a Spider-Man story. But it doesn't mean you have to spend two years on the Clone Saga or spend, you know, this many years on a J. Michael Straczynski story where we find out that, you know, um, Gwen Stacy had children with Norman Osborn right. or whatever all that BS and there's so much of that goes on nowadays and this these type of done in one stories are completely out of fashion and I don't understand why because I love them no I, I completely agree with you I think that um, if you focus too much on world building and kind of building mm -hmm. up to this big event you're not really focusing on the story or the characters you're focusing on this event right and I, I think that if you don't have well-established characters then that's never going to work no and i mean a good example of that are the movies as well mm -hmm. i think that some of the best movies for either marvel or dc um are the ones where it's a self-contained story it's not this story that's building up to another one yeah that's a great right? point that's a great point I, and i think that's exactly why dc's initial cinematic universe offerings all failed right, right. yeah no, I that's completely all agree. they were doing is building up to other movies right oh boy yeah so there's one little thing um that editors do and I, I, mean, I assume it's the editors because i can't imagine a good writer doing this okay i want you to go to page 11 okay okay and i want you to look at the <clears throat> So you got the first few panels. Okay, starting in the middle row, the last panel in the middle row, okay? Mm -hmm. So Spider-Man is in the office with um, Keating and well, with these two cops, Keating and this other cop. I can't remember his name. Mm -hmm. So then he leaps out the... So they're arguing and then he leaps out the window, okay? Now the next panel is Spider-Man swinging over the city, okay? Mm -hmm. Which makes perfect sense. But what does Denny O'Neill, the editor, do... <laughs> To over-explain it for the kids, he puts a little thing at the top that says, seconds later, rooftops away, and then we hear Spider-Man's thought bubbles, okay? Right. On the next panel, Spider-Man is changing it to Peter Parker, and what does Denny O'Neill do? He adds a thing. Shortly, at, shortly after retrieving his web pack, then in the next panel, we see Peter Parker talking minutes to someone later. at the university. Minutes later, when Peter Parker finally... You know what? Can, can you like is there any reader on earth including a two-year-old that would be reading <laughs> this and be like realize. wait a minute how did he get there right. did he materialize well we understand how comics work because we're not idiots right like you and, know like and, charlie brown doesn't even explain things this and the, much, the right? artist definitely laid this out so you wouldn't have to describe it but it's it's just there unnecessarily it's not even exactly. like the, the arc doesn't lend itself to that because even in the the issue where or the the panel where spider-man is swinging through the city he is swinging towards the panel where he's on the roof yes so you can good follow point. that right like you know that good point just subconsciously you know that spider-man after he's swinging he's going to this roof and then even even peter parker 
on the roof is looking towards the next panel like and he's pointing exactly yeah it's almost like he is pointing to the next panel you can follow that subconscious uh direction yeah without having to describe exactly what's going on exactly because marie severin is a veteran artist and she knows exactly what she's doing uh anyway again you know what this is this is a good issue of spectacular spider-man by roger stern and marie severin this is exactly you know what we're looking for um it's got class again it's like it's not you know because sometimes like i've got into debates with people where they're like well the best spider-man story ever written is craven's last hunt Mm -hmm. now i do love craven's last hunt but it's not even really it's not a typical spider-man story it's much darker and much more violent Right. right whereas this there's not one panel that's great or one scene that's great but it's just overall it's a good story right yeah you know? it's very satisfying right um so i, I this is a story that i would recommend to anyone oh a, for a sure kid an adult i think this is a, a good spider-man issue yeah what do you think yeah i think it's a it's a great example of a good comic and a good mm-hmm. spider-man story so you yeah. kind of get both of that in this uh in this issue you have those you know great stories and great comic book beats and action and great art uh-huh. but then you also get some you know a really good look at who peter parker is uh with you know him being just an average kid always making mistakes having to fix those mistakes and even after kind of fixing that he's still in trouble and you know he, he still deals with that every day with the consequences right yes so yeah, I mean, uh, again, recommended. I don't know what, what number I'd give this. Maybe I give it an eight out of ten. I think. Yeah, again, I was gonna say it's not that's, like that's an eight. Yep, for sure. Yep, for sure. It's a recommended story. It's a good Spider-Man story. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, um, Roger Stern um, is eventually going to move to Amazing, and things are going to get even better. So we are on the road to you know that particular event. So and boy, am I excited. Been, oh, yes. <laughs> so this has been a strange month for Spidey. Yeah, we've got one terrible issue one almost terrible issue and then one really good issue Mm -hmm. so we're still one out of three but i think the you know people talk about the bronze age of spider-man but i think the real heyday of the 80s is still we're we're still not quite there yet but we're getting there right um but yeah it's on the horizon so it's coming folks so stick with us because i know we, we sometimes sound negative but hey i'm telling you you read these stories and i think you'd agree with us oh for sure these yeah these other two stories were not not good but this issue of spectacular is excellent right. so and, and we're so that, reading these we're reading uh these spider-man comics because we love spider-man so exactly it's definitely exactly. it's definitely uh not us just being upset at the comics just because you know it's fun to be upset at them. We would really love them to be good because Spider-Man, for me at least, is my favorite superhero. So yes. I, I love yeah. reading Spider-Man and, and reading good issues. So He's my top three, yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that wraps up <laughs> this week's episode yep. of Here Comes the Spider-Cast. So uh, we, you can take it from here, Josh. Sure, yeah. So uh, next week we're going to be reading and reviewing Amazing Spider-Man number 217. Marvel team up 106 Peter Parker this and the Peter Parker the spectacular Spider-Man number 55 
And uh, if you guys want to let us know what you think about those issues and let us know what you think about the podcast, you can reach us at uh, Comic Syndicate on Twitter and the Comic Book Syndicate on Facebook. We'd love to hear some feedback from you guys and uh, you know keep that conversation going. All right. So until next Monday, this has been Here Comes the Spider Cast. Oh, <laughs>